So, welcome to Power, Passion, and Coffee, where we talk about the power we have within us to follow our passions over a delicious cup of Another coffee. <laughs> again. again. Uh, here at Big Heart Coffee, um, where we film every Monday morning, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, by the way. Feel free to join us anytime. Um, and I do want to say that there is an event that's going to be happening uh, here at Big Heart. It's called Coffee with the Cop. It's going to be on Wednesday, April 10th. So that's next week, Wednesday. Uh, next week, yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. Week. Next week, Wednesday, uh, April 10th, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. So come down to Big Heart Coffee to meet a local cop. If you have any concerns, we can address it. Bring it to your cop, bring your, your, your local um, police officers. I actually went to an event that I did photography for um, a few awesome uh, so come down and talk if you have any concerns or if you just want to hear what your local yeah. police officers have to say. So I am your co-host, Jermaine, founder of the Drunken Entrepreneur Network. And my name is Andres Ruiz. I am a motivational speaker and a life coach. And on today's show, we have a very special guest. Her name is Catherine Kellner. So Catherine is a strategic communication consultant and the studio director of the Human Communication Studio. Employing a practice developed over 30 years, Catherine and her team at HS, excuse me, HCS offer multidisciplinary coaching drawn from the world of cognitive science, communication philosophy, and principles of acting from the classical school. Her tailored focus on speech, articulation, breathe, thought, connection, and deliberate use of body and gesture to impart meaning provides clients with the confidence and means for effective face-to-face -face interactions. Catherine and the team uh, provide strategic consulting for public presentations, both internationally and across the United States. Catherine has lectured to uh, hosted workshops for and engaged in personal consultation services for the National District Attorneys Association, the Federal Prosecution Service for the Canadian Department of Justice, the U.S. Customs Surveillance Academy, the Arizona State Bar, the Office of the Pima County Attorney, the con uh, I, can't, I don't know how to say that word. The <laughs> I don't think you need to read all of that, do you? <laughs> okay, yeah, well, you have a very impressive resume. I'll tell you that right now. So she's um, her written and published materials include a contribution to the book Role Play Personalities in Action. Welcome, right, that's Catherine right. Catherine Man, this is <laughs> Thank a beautiful you. bio. It was really nice to go through <laughs> I all need of that. I'll take that's you know, necessary. You might teach me a thing or two right <laughs> okay, now. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll do that. We'll get to that. So first, what is the Human Connection Studio? Well, it's, the, it's the Human Communication, communication Studio. Studio. Yes. yes. But, I mean, a lot of people sometimes say Human Connection Studio, but it, the support of that is the communication we engage in. So I'm not, you know, really alarmed when you say connection, because that's yeah. what we're working on, right? And the Human Communication Studio is a place where we produce uh, digital media in the last uh, three or four years to promote what I used to do, or I still do, in person mm. for about 25 plus years. Wow. And that is teaching human face-to-face -face communication skills and strategies for public speaking, for any kind of nice. communication that would demand a more thoughtful, strategic application of our skill set, which is our breath, our thoughts, our body, gesture, the orientation of how we move through space, our awareness of the environment and the given circumstances, mm -hmm. 
all of the elements that go into what would be more organic or natural in our everyday communication. But when we need those skills for a more strategic application, we need a construct and a vocabulary and a set of ways to think about taking action. And that's what we're digesting down into small incremental uh, videos of about four minutes apiece. And nice. it's a, called the Human Communication Archives. And it's going to grow every year. Uh, the first launch will be about 30 videos that teach sort of the fundamentals. You can think about it as the beginning alphabet of the vocabulary that we'll be applying over the next several years and adding to that archive so that uh, anybody that goes to the archive would have a volume of material that would inform them of not only the fundamentals, but then how those fundamentals apply in strategic ways. So okay. the studio is the place where we produce those videos and we produce our podcast. And the podcast is called WTF, Do I Do With My Hands? Okay. Because <laughs> throughout all of my career, that question gets asked a lot. I stand up to speak, I don't know what to do with my hands. So, and, you know, yeah, so yeah. We, we took that modern application like and it. added to it. So the podcast is accessible to anybody now. And, of course, through iTunes, and that's free of charge. So all there's right. a season on there that also lays the fundamentals. And it's a little longer, but we produce uh, that in the studio as well. So we have a green screen studio and a little um, recording studio. There are a couple of other entities that come in and record their projects there. And it is the vehicle from which we produce uh, the digital media from the work that I do in person. Right on. Yeah, so it's a really exciting endeavor. So, I mean, you have a large, a very wide breadth of customers, people that you've worked for. Who That's do you correct. Wanna, who do you work for ideally? Like, who would you, who, who would you, well, we'll get into, like, why did you start it, but over the years, who are the people that you absolutely want to give this uh, information to? Well... You know, it's not it's not the correct answer for marketing and sales, but everyone, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just not not um, really practical to think of it that way. But I think at a foundational level, anyone who wants to improve their communication or interaction with another human being yes. in a face to face or in person situation, like what we're experiencing now, yeah, yeah could benefit from understanding these constructs and tools and how to apply them. On a larger scale that's maybe in the more professional world or through an industry, those kinds of communications that are more strategic in nature or from a theater, theater background, we might say a heightened kind of communication that demands very specific skills for an outcome, you know, to persuade someone, to convince someone, to impress, all of those more heightened actions demand a little bit of strategy and thoughtfulness in terms of what we're doing with what might be our more organic communication skills that we might use in everyday interactions. Mm. So those clients become very varied mm. because they would have different needs. Mm. But the yeah. fundamentals that go underneath all of the service to those clients are pretty much the same, just applied differently, and that's where the strategy comes in. Yeah, I, I like that, and, and I think that would, the, the most important thing is that you first get into a conversation with somebody. Right, and that's right. And I think like it's kind of like building a relationship with that person, and 
well, this is from me, me personally, right. like as a life coach, I, uh, I, I, I start a conversation and then I build a relationship with that person and kind of gain their trust. And then from there, just kind of what, what can I do for this person? How can I help you? How can I improve your life? And what you're doing is something that I believe many people need, like even our, our kids. Like when I go speak to children, uh, I, I went to the 30th uh, youth leadership. Yes. I, I spoke there and, um, I talked to the kids about like the importance of communication and being able to talk to somebody. I told them about like the eye contact, your, your smile, you gotta be smiling. You know, if you're like this, just nobody's going to want to look at you. Right. And then, you know, their posture and then the nice handshake. you can't give me the fish and then expect to like, kind of maybe want to do business with you or anything like that. And then when they do that, the kids are like, I asked them, how did you feel after that? I felt nervous. I felt awkward. I said, good. That's how you're supposed to feel because that's how you, you got to step into that fear because if you never do it, because I see 34 year olds, they can't even communicate. They can't say, Hey, how you doing? They're really embarrassed. I have relatives that they give me the fish all the time and they've always given me the fish and they're 50. Are, are they watching this? <laughs> Hopefully. Are you watching this? <laughs> no, more fish, no more fish hands. Because we're a lot of, I, in general, when we talk about like uh, immaturity and things that uh, people can do, we kind of like, talk about teenagers or young people but in reality i found that when it comes to communicating when it comes to being open with people there is no age like have you found that there's a particular set of people who need this or everyone they're all at a different stage of use of what mm -hmm. we would say are the skill sets mm -hmm. yeah. um, and definitely at a different place in their understanding of what those are to begin with. So it crosses the generations and the, the need is different for each generation. Yeah. And, and really it's a fundamental um, set of tools that for a younger generation that are more involved in the digital aspect of communicating like we are right now, we're yeah, yeah, communicating yeah. through a, a live stream experience right live yeah, stream no, experience stream, yes. right so mm -hmm. so the people watching us aren't in front of us we're mm -hmm. in front of each other mm -hmm. they're watching us do that thing yeah. you know in yeah, front yeah. of us <laughs> so they are naturally removed from this interaction mm -hmm. and they don't have to be aware of what they're doing with their body or the energy that's at this table so that habit on a daily basis of communicating through devices decreases the amount of time that a person would be in front of another person without distraction or without an interface to transmit meaning through, which requires a different set of skill sets. Mm. So folks that were um, born or have been interacting in their lives without a digital interface they have all of those tools available to them because they've been practicing them mm -hmm. for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Even my generation, when I go to use my phone or I'm involved in this kind of interaction on the computer mm -hmm. or through my phone or even Skype coaching, I am adapting to a different skill set, uh, right? Mm -hmm. That the younger generation is practicing all day long more often. Yeah, yeah. I'm having to learn what that skill set is. Mm -hmm. But if that's taken away from me, like if I've left my phone at home, mm -hmm. I feel free. 
Oh, yeah, I get to actually talk yeah. to two people, yeah. <laughs> right? I don't have to look at my phone. Yeah, yeah. Where a lot of the young people I work with, especially at the university level, they forget their phone or their computer breaks, and they're at a loss as yeah. what to do. Yes. I, I was recently on the campus of the University of Arizona doing a workshop, and one of the students had participated in the previous year in a workshop that I had conducted. So she came to this second experience, and she sat down and she said, well, I took your advice. I left my phone at my dorm room. And so I said, well, how, how do you feel? She's like, I am lost. <laughs> oh, let's, let's talk about that. What do you, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And so she described her sensory experience mm -hmm. walking across campus to the meeting room and how all of the sounds, the idea of the time it was, was I on time? She oh, didn't have that to look at because a lot of people aren't wearing watches, they're wearing what, like smart, what, whatever the smart, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you call that, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So she had no reference on her person for the time and she was talking about how she's used to following the map that tells you where to go, or right? So she had to think about, oh yeah, I'm going to this location. The smells, the people. She oh, actually she looked at people. And then we were laughing about, she was looking at people, but they were all looking at their phones. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So she wasn't getting the benefit of that human interaction, even though she was available. Yeah. And all of the... In that 10-minute walk, all of the sensory aspects of what it means to move through the world with your own devices, right? Uh -huh. Which are our tool set, our yeah, breath, yeah. Our, our thoughts, thoughts our breath, our eyes, yeah, our yeah. movement, how we're walking. She didn't have anything in her hand. She had to think about, oh, how, what are my strides like? All of the things that she became aware of Awareness. by just leaving the phone. So one of the things I think is interesting is when we might think, oh, I'm not on my phone all the time. But if it's in your pocket mm -hmm. and it's on, it is an added distraction. Mm -hmm. So when it vibrates, let's say, what are you thinking? You're, you're in a human face-to-face -face interaction, right? You have a human in front of you, not a, not a computer yeah, in yeah. front of you. Mm -hmm. And you have your phone in your pocket and it, and it vibrates. What are, you, what are you guys thinking when that happens? Who's texting me? Who's texting messaging me? And, Facebook. Yeah. And now you have a dilemma. If you've asked somebody to get in touch with you earlier in the day, mm -hmm. and you're also in front of a person that's asking for your attention, attention you have a dilemma. Which one do you pay attention to? The one in your pocket or the one in front of you? Mm -hmm. And, and you're I mean, distracted. Yeah. And I think well, what I do is, for me, is off. Not on the table. Not flipped over. It's usually like this. So I can't be distracted. Because right. I realize that no matter what, I can, if it's vibrating, my thoughts are immediately going to go there. Right? If it's, if it's right. touching me, my thoughts, as I'm having a conversation, I can do that. And of course, if it's here... It's I can think about, I wonder if I can email, or, but I'm, I have to intentionally be present with the meeting. The so right put it away from me, put it over mm -hmm. there, off, be here. Because one thing I understand is the, the accessibility of it is what takes our thoughts, not anything really happening in reality. Like, oh, well, I have to have it here. 
for people who have children. I don't have children. You have children. Yeah. It's easy to say, well, I need to have it available all the time because something can happen to my kids at any moment. And so I have to have it here. But naturally, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that wasn't a problem. It's whenever, you know, you got to the information, you got the information. For me, I don't have that problem. And I realize that as I'm, I'm in meetings and um, other people are like, oh, give me one second, you know. It's like, oh, okay, we'll just we'll pause for a second and allow you to, to do that. So I allow people to do that, but I don't do that myself because it's, I want to be here and I may never see you again. That's right. right. I mean, I this is going to be the only, maybe the only um, physical reaction, actually, um, interaction we have. But it shouldn't be because we're actually going to have a yearly event in May that we're <laughs> um, So you can meet all of our under, other uh, amazing <coughs> guests. But I do find that even having it here, my, my brain um, goes to it. Because even through this conversation, um, it was on, and then I had to move it to turn the screen off. Yes. And then it was here, and then I decided, okay, maybe if I turn it over, so just in case I do get a blink, that the light blinks on it, yeah. to tell me that something's happening, even if the, vibra- the, um, the vibrator isn't on, or the, uh, yeah, the vibration thing isn't on. And also, I was thinking about how I want to make a 15-minute marker, which I really don't need, because we, we have enough. But as you're talking, I was thinking, I wonder if I should have a 15-minute marker as their phone's here, so my thoughts are being, like, pulled away. So that's, and and, and you know what? I think yeah. that and, and, uh, there was a guy that said that when your phone rings, it's like if somebody's yelling, like like a, a loud scream is going off, and then you just immediately react, and people are in reaction mode, and they grab the phone. And I, I know I've had moments where I'll have my phone, and the phone's going, ding, ding, and then people, they're talking to me, and they're looking at my phone. And I'm just looking at them. And they're looking at my phone, they, they, and it rings again, and it rings again, and they're going like this. Yeah, they're, like, already practice. programmed. But I'm just looking at them, and they're like, this guy's not even looking at his phone. He's paying attention to me. Right. But they're paying more attention to the phone than I'm paying attention to my phone. But I remember one time I was talking to two people. There was, like, a six-year-old man and, like, a 30-some-year-old woman. And we were having a conversation, and I was talking to them. And this is no lie. They were like this. And like, really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, that's how it is now. And I was like, whoa. And it's not kids. This is like grown people. That's right. And they were looking at me like, yeah. Wait, wait. Ah, yeah. What did you say again? Well, it's all of us. We've all we've all exactly. been drawn into this particular kind of accessibility. So I, I'm, I am not a person who says, let's not do that. The, the issue we have as a society is that we are still asking for competency in face-to-face, in-person communications. So if we're not practicing it all day long, where do you get your data points to be able to understand when you are interacting in a heightened way or some a, a very important kind of communication, like an interview, or you're going to persuade somebody, or, or dinner, perhaps you're in a business meeting and you're trying to get funding from that individual across the table. And if you haven't been practicing the skills that happen in a face-to-face, in-person interaction, the capacity you have to execute them in a strategic way has decreased mm. exponentially mm-hmm. to the time you have put through communicating through a device. And that's for all ages. Mm-hmm. The, the difference, which I was talking about earlier, is that a, a generation, because that goes to your question about generations, any person, whether it's generational or cultural, that has practiced over time human face-to-face interactions has a set of skills that are more available to them than that person who has not had that experience. Mm-hmm. And, and those skills are not just about the face or the eye contact. Mm-hmm. 
We talk about that a lot when we're coaching people. It's more about what's happening in the body and the energy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're, we're sitting in a position where we're on a curve. Mm -hmm. So even though we have this other element that's filming us, right, and we feel like we have to keep coming back to here, what we're coming back to is our line focus. So there's two kinds of focus. Mm -hmm. There's eye focus and line focus. Mm -hmm. And the line focus you can think of as the trunk of your body. Mm -hmm. So when I turn my line focus towards the two of you, because this is a shared interaction, we're all sort of angling our line focus towards one another, mm -hmm. right? And I just look at the camera. The camera is taking just in my eye focus, not my line focus. So even if the person wasn't at our table, they're on the other end of the visual part of taking what's going on in here. Mm. They know they don't have my full attention. They know you have my full attention. Mm. But if you were to ask me a question and I really wanted to connect with the audience on the other side of that lens, mm -hmm. then if I do this and I answer you, and if I change my plane and lean forward, you know you have all of my attention and I've disengaged from them mm -hmm. in my plane and I've given you my line focus. Mm -hmm. And if I keep my yeah, line yeah. focus here like and I just answer you, they still know they uh, are the most important audience in this interaction. Wow. And you are the most important Right, audience. and you are, I guess. <laughs> but if we're having a conversation, which is the situation you set up for this talk, then in person... I would naturally default into a what we call a quarter turn, which is a shared position. Mm -hmm. Because that's a natural way of moving mm -hmm. when you're making a connection. Because you're making a connection with your emotional center, which is three inches below the belly button, that sort of area of the gut feeling. Mm -hmm. That's where we make connections. We take more meaning from the line focus than we do eye focus. Mm -hmm. So even... Even if I give you all my eye focus, but I turn my line focus away, you know you don't have my full attention. Mm -hmm. And you'll sense that over time, right? So when we're thinking about those natural organic tools that we would have sort of vetted out as we practice them in many different situations with many different people in person, we would start to get data points. We may not think about them in this way, the constructs I'm talking about now, line focus, eye focus. But we would have gotten data points as to, oh, when I talked to Joe last week, I, I was doing this thing that really worked. I was giving him all of my body. I think I'll try that again. It may not be as calculated as that, but we, over time, without a device interface, begin to sense those things, have a continuum of experience that we can begin to understand, oh, that was a that was an easy conversation. That was a little difficult. That was challenging. That demanded a little more. Oh, that was extreme. Oh, that was really, really tough. That was threatening. That was out of line. Right? And our younger people or people in general, I mean I don't want to just say it's generational, who aren't experiencing face-to-face -face interactions in a volume without a device have the absence of those experiences to put on a line. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for my work, coaching, let's say if I go to a university to coach a student on their presentation or like what you were talking about, your mentorship, mm -hmm. many times when we're in that situation, that's a high-risk situation for someone to be 
working with you personally, right? Mm -hmm, In person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you don't have a lot of experiences on what it means to have just regular intense human interactions, that coaching experience can feel really threatening and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. rather than a learning experience Mm -hmm. or that's a challenge. And that's what started happening in my practice about five, six years ago where people that I'm working with are finding the actual coaching experience to be very, very uncomfortable and using words that are describing that experience in very extreme ways, you know, choosing words that are really not what we're doing, but that's how it makes them feel Mm -hmm. because they have had very few experiences in that construct. Wow, that's very powerful. And that's so true because I, when I have coaching clients, sometimes I'll coach them via video or phone call, but a lot of them are like, no, I don't feel very comfortable via video. So I'd rather just do phone call. Mm-hmm. And um, when sometimes I've had coaching sessions where I'm having a video conversation and they feel uncomfortable just being on the other side of the video because, and then we're kind of like making some eye contact and you can see that they're like really nervous. And they even sometimes say, I'm so nervous right now. Right. And it's video. It's not like if we're like right next to each other, but I mean, in a way we are, we're like in the same room, I guess you could say, but it's on a screen. But People, even that, they, they feel very uncomfortable. Well, it's a full front interaction. Mm-hmm. People default. This is full front. This is quarter turn, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. then we have half our profile. If I if I turned, um, this is, I'm, you've got three quarters. If I did this, you have, you, you don't see any of my line focus. This would be an odd thing to be mm-hmm. talking to you this way, right? <laughs> but let's say I'm super nervous. Yeah. I might turn my feelings away from you. And so my line focus is now going off here. But then if I changed my plane and leaned in, that wouldn't feel so bad for you. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I've cued you, oh, I'm really interested. In fact, this is super close, right? Mm -hmm. So you're saying, yeah, super available. But I'm like, whoa, I don't feel comfortable. So I've I've taken my line focus Mm -hmm. off. And then as I'm comfortable, you might see people start to shift back. Right, and then they're really passionate, and they've forgotten this discomfort. They're like in your face now with their line yeah, focus, yeah. right? Yeah. So these are natural, organic ways that humans interact, and it unfolds. And again, I'm for the you know repeating myself over and over. But if we're not practicing those interactions, mm-hmm. then that vulnerability that you're describing, even in front of a camera, feels like oh, all that energy and all that focus is on me. And I don't, I don't know what to do with that, mm-hmm. right? And people, people can sense mm. that when, when, when you're, when, when I'm coaching people. Like I remember when I barely started coaching, they could sense the fear, and they're like, "This guy's full of shit. Like he's not really a good coach or anything like that." And they could, they could see the fear in me, and I was kind of, because I wasn't too sure about the questions I was asking. Mm. But the more that I did it, the more comfortable that I got, and the more confident that I got with my coaching skills. And later on, I was just coming with them, and I was even more. Um, open to like share my stories be more vulnerable and tell them like my experiences on what i've been through and uh the more you do it like you said the more you do it the more comfortable you get with it then you're just you you can you can and people want a leader they want a leader like you're a leader so that's what people need that's what they want and they know if you're not a leader like well they they sense it how do they know how do they know that because they're they're picking up sort of information Mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. your body, from the way you move, from the way you extend your gesture, all sorts of cues that we break down in our work 
so that people understand what to practice. So if you, if you have this practice over time, and you maybe didn't have a vocabulary or a tool to practice, it could take you, in some professions I work in, let's say to be competent, it might take you 15 to 20 years to be a really good, let's say, prosecutor or actor or somebody who's doing a performance mm -hmm. kind of uh, communication with a particular kind of skill set and goal in mind, right? Mm -hmm. But if you, if you then give that individual a set of vocabulary and skills to actually practice and then come back and do a feedback loop of observation and response and then plug in a different skill and see how that goes, mm -hmm. then you cut that learning curve down to half. There's no substitute for practice. Mm -hmm. You've got to mm -hmm. practice these things. Mm -hmm. But when you know the skill you're practicing and you can come back and observe, oh, did it work? Oh, no, it didn't work because this other thing was happening. Okay, so it doesn't mean never use that skill. Just maybe the situation didn't ask for that skill mm -hmm. and that situation asked for this other one, but I wasn't really thinking about the given circumstances. I was really just thinking about what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's more than what you want to say or communicate. It's the given circumstances that change that interaction. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do about it? Oh, I might move differently. I might articulate differently. I might use more extended gesture or round. So all of those tools are what we try to strive to do at the Human Communication Studio to give the constructs of what to actually do about the thing you want to achieve mm -hmm. in your communication. It's interesting you say that because I just recently I had, um, I was talking to someone this Friday and she was explaining how she's sarcastic sometimes. She said something to me and I laughed mm -hmm. and she goes, oh, I, sometimes I don't think, I just yes. say things and she goes, sometimes it gets me in trouble. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I was saying feet that. out of my mouth all of exactly, the time. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I had a great conversation with her about how I was like, I'm very sarcastic as well. And I had, and I told her some situation I had when I was in the Air Force. Um, so fast forward, and she's, so what we're talking about, I'm just saying, you know, the more you talk to people, the more you realize sort of where that lever is, like how to mm -hmm. do a little more, do a little less. Okay, I'm comfortable with this person, but still be yourself. Just be your, you know, be yourself in a way that allows that person <laughs> to be sort of open. So I was talking to someone, I brought them um, a new concept. So I just, I, every time I, I have something new to bring, I bring it to multiple people to see what they think. All these people I respect. So I brought it to this, this one lady and I had to leave. This was just last week. And um, she goes, oh man, you know, that's great. What you can do is you can take that and the government isn't doing that and you can work with them. And so she starts just basically making a business out of sort of this product I had. And I was like, oh no, no, I want to um, make, you know, give it away for free. Um, it's just a tool to bring people in because my ideal audience is this is what they're going to want. And she's like, yeah, but you can make money from it. And so she keeps going. I was like, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. And so by the end of the meeting, she was like, we're a little more hostile. And I realized that. So I was telling um, this individual, Mariana, I was like, so what I understood in that moment was that she felt like I was being dismissive of her idea as opposed to, because I'm already focused. And so rather than going, um, that's a great idea, I'll think about it. I said, no, I wouldn't do that. And so she felt like I was dismissing her, dismissing her advice, et cetera. And that, you know, her energy changed and all that changed. So now it's like, I understand now moving on when I bring things to people, when that specific thing happens, it doesn't matter whether I feel like I'm going to do it or not. It's a lot easier for me now to go, I'll think about that. It's a great idea. I'll think about that. Even though I know for a fact I'm not going to do it because it allows the other person that space to go, oh, okay, he, I, I was heard. 
and he still respects my opinion because I realized it wasn't about her. It wasn't about the specific advice. It was about her giving advice. And maybe I didn't value her advice or her opinion or what she said. And of course, that wasn't the case. That's why I brought it to her so I could hear all these amazing things. I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. I'd love to do it. I could make money from it, but it was not, that wasn't my intention. And just like it wasn't my intention to make money from it, it wasn't my intention to dismiss your ideas right off. So practicing that now, when I'm sitting down with people, I'm like, okay, I can change my behavior a little bit to ensure I'm not offending people with my right. um, words. Just like, you know, mm -hmm. try not to offend people with your sarcasm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did want to go now um, go back to how you got started and why. With with yeah, this so with work? Co with coaching in general, with, you know, body language, communicating with people in this way. Why did you start this, this type of uh, practice? Well, I, w I guess it would be about 30 years ago or so. I'd have to go all the way back to math. I was teaching acting. So my background is acting and directing. And, Where are you uh, from? Tucson. Excuse me. Okay, cool. And uh, I act at uh, the Rogue Theater here in Tucson. And I've, okay. uh, Arizona Theater Company, and okay. Invisible oh, Theater. Cool. So over the years, I've kept up my um, mm -hmm. theatrical learning, you know, the the tools that an actor learns on stage just by performing mm. is it's a journey itself so yeah. i i am really committed to my own education so anytime i can practice that craft uh i i try to and i'm very very grateful for when i am okay. able to do that nice. so going back to why so at the at the at this time when i was teaching acting in the evenings just general workshops and i taught the breath and uh, the voice and the body components of the acting workshop mm -hmm. and a lot of times that that's not unusual you might have a, a voice coach or a movement coach and then you have the acting or the text coach I mean there can be different people that are involved in acting workshops so the one that I was teaching in that that was my job it was to work on that skill set of the actor and uh, one of the uh, students um, that was taking the course uh, asked if uh, one of us would come and support this organization that they were a part of. We're going to start doing presentations for their clients. And they hadn't done that kind of thing before in that industry. So I, I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go. And that was the seed that grew this business. So what I realized pretty quickly is that the fundamentals that an actor uses on stage and the processes and the creative process are defining uh, constructs, vocabulary, all sorts of tools that we use to create a character on stage, to create moments that are real, to maintain connections with the other actor. Mm -hmm. We're doing that in an artificial setting for the benefit of the audience, right? Mm -hmm. And there are some things that we would never do in person that we do on stage because, or on camera really, because that audience is seeing a particular frame that the director is giving them or that the lens is capturing. And so we have to also concentrate on what we're doing on a number of different things. It's a different kind of concentration than what you were just describing where your phone is going off and I'm thinking, should I do this? And it, but we spend a lot of time also in acting classes doing concentration skills, which people don't really realize the command that you have to have of being in the moment and staying present and creating this connection with this human being through a text <clears throat> that is dictated. You don't get to 
depart from, a world of a play that you don't get to depart from, and all sorts of things go wrong on stage. So concentration is a tool that helps you prepare for that inevitable you know, thing that's going to happen that's an unknown, right? So, you, um, so when you tar- start to break down these skills, if you teach the regular person who's not trying to become a character, who's simply trying to develop their skill set to be mm-hmm. better understood or to have self-reflection and awareness of themselves, you can translate those tools in a really comprehensive way that supports the endeavor of that person and their communication. Wow. So that's exactly what I started doing. And that, that's how I got, it, got started. And I was very fortunate that as in life, sometimes certain opportunities came my way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was prepared for them and open and willing to ask questions and to take a risk because most people don't hire an actress to come and solve their problems. Uh-huh. And even you just smile, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. we think that's kind of funny. Yeah. People really don't understand the tool set that goes into being a theater artist. It's quite uh, demanding and the skills are vast in their application. So I took those skills and at the same time I was teaching a TUSD and a literacy program mm. and the constructs that were being used in that program were Brian Camborn's the natural conditions of learning. I think the book at that time was the acquisition of literacy in the classroom, the natural conditions of learning. And Brian Camborn uh, had, he still might have a relationship with the University of Arizona in their whole language program. So I was teaching in the daytime in this literacy program that required uh, us as an instructor to take those eight natural, well, there's seven natural conditions of learning in his construct, Excuse me. And the eighth is a result of all of those, although they're all intertwined together. What are the. You want to know what they are? Absolutely. They want to know what they are. Yeah, you probably do. So so the difficulty in taking um, a particular idea that's applied to one discipline, like Brian Camborn's work is applied to literacy, the acquisition of literacy or language, right? we're lifting those constructs and applying them to all learning. And there's people all over the world that use his natural conditions of learning to do that. I started using them in my adult education at night to apply to how we're going to learn these new ideas. The learner wants to be thinking about all of these constructs. And then what I am going to do as a teacher or a coach, I'm going to really try to make sure I'm achieving all eight of these for the benefit Mm -hmm. of the learner. Right. So, so so it's sort of stepping outside of yourself. I'm in the classroom. I'm going to learn a new language, whatever that is, but it doesn't matter what I'm learning. Really, these eight apply to how I learn anything. Is that what They can be incredibly helpful to fill in the gaps as to what's missing or why, why isn't the other person I'm communicating with getting what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it could be content driven. Or, so I'll tell you what they are. Um, and if you went to read about them, <laughs> you would read about them in this construct of literacy. So we take them out and apply them. You know, it's sort of an applied cross-disciplinary um, experience. Mm-hmm. So immersion. And his idea is that when we learn an oral language, the best way to learn that is to be immersed. That's how all of us learned 
our language. Mm. Even if you have a secondary language, to be fluent, you have to have some sort of immersion mm. in that experience, right? Yes. Mm. So you could just take this simple idea and say people learn better when they're immersed in something, mm -hmm. the vocabulary. So if we go back to our video series, it's sectioned out in four-minute videos mm -hmm. like teaching the alphabet, the definitions that we want to immerse our learners in. Mm. Line focus, mm. plane, those simple concepts, mm -hmm. our learner for these, uh, the application of these tools need to be immersed in that vocabulary. Mm. And, and it could be something they've never thought of, or it could be a different kind of idea that mm. is foreign to them, right? But mm. they want, you want them to begin to be immersed in that. And then you use that language over and over and over as you talk about something mm -hmm. and that's immersion mm -hmm. or everybody around you is speaking that language yes. and that's immersion, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The second one is people learn better when they know it's expected. And expectations in language acquisition happen in really interesting ways. When you're bringing up a child, you have kids yes. and you're speaking a language to them even if it's two languages in your household or three, I have clients that speak multiple languages, the, just by speaking to that person orally in that language, you're sending the expectation they have the capacity to learn it mm -hmm. and understand mm -hmm. it. You know, that's a really interesting, simple thing to be thinking about, yeah. right? Just by the action of interacting with them through that language, that learner is absorbing that there's an expectation of receiving it. Mm -hmm. and being able to respond in it, yeah. right? That's so my, true, my right? Little, my little sister, uh, she's nine years younger than me. So when she was like, like two or three, I was walking by my brother, and I was like, little kids are smarter than us. Like, <laughs> I was like, she's learning how to talk, and no one's teaching her. Like, look at all the words that she's saying, and no one's teaching her anything. She's yes. just like, little kids are too smart. He disagreed, and we had an argument about it, but yes, little yes. kids are smarter kids, than kids us. Kids are very smart. <laughs> and, uh, my, I speak English and Spanish, and my son speaks English and Spanish, but we just started learning French. So far, we know six phrases, like Great. bonjour, uh, comment à parler vous, uh, what is it, uh, is it? je m'appelle, Andres, and just yeah. like we, we learned six je phrases. Je m'appelle. Yeah. Je m'appelle. Uh -huh. I'm still learning how to pronounce them, but, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm learning, and I'm, I'm teaching that, and he, he remembers that. How do you say uh, hello, and then bonjour, just all this stuff. But yeah, you're right. The, um, well, there's an expectation and, and there's not a preoccupation in that person going, I'll never learn mm -hmm. to speak, right? Mm -hmm. But when we teach reading and writing, and that's the program I taught in, that is not, so his inquiry is, if we accept these conditions of learning in an oral language, why aren't we applying those same conditions when we teach reading and writing? So if you think about this really simple idea of expectation, when someone first starts to write words, usually we make sure they spell the word correctly. Mm -hmm. We don't let them approximate, which is one of the conditions of learning. Mm -hmm. So in an oral language, we accept approximation for many years, maybe seven, eight, I, I'm not sure the, the year he would put on that. Uh, when we teach reading and writing, we don't accept approximation from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So think of the expectation that that learner might have that every time they write something, it's wrong, I may never learn to write. Mm -hmm. Or every time they read something out loud, they have it wrong, they pronounce the word wrong, or they've missed something. Mm -hmm. They could begin to think, oh, I'm, I'm not a reader, I'll never learn to read. Mm -hmm. And the key is that um, the learner has time to approximate, get it almost right. 
Well, that's a really hard thing to do as a teacher if you're teaching reading and writing. If you've accepted that spelling the word correctly is always the goal or reading that word correctly is always the goal. Mm -hmm. So in a 40-minute lesson, if I had a child who, and let's say the sentence was, the bird flew over the tree. And that child read that and said, the word, the, the bird flow over the tree. Mm. I would not stop and correct that. Mm-hmm. I would say, oh, yes, the bird did do that. How, how did they do that? Let's talk about that. And they might describe the wings <laughs> and right, flowing over the tree is, is perfectly natural. That Maybe that's what that mm-hmm. image was in that person's head. And then later on, when there's a little bit of foundation and fluency, I might be able to go back to that sentence and say, let's look at that word where you said the bird flow over the tree. Yes. Oh, let's look at the bird. Okay. Let's look at that word that you said flow. What, what's that start with? An F. Oh, yeah. What sound does that make? And then the L sound. Oh, oh what's that next letter? That's an O. Oh, that's interesting. What sound does an O make? And then you can see the wheels turning in their head and they say, oh, or ooh, oh, so, oh, that's interesting. But you didn't say flu, right? You didn't do a double O and there's an E there. And then we have to talk, because English is very difficult. We have to talk about, oh, what's the EW mean? And right, so now we can all, we can all explore what that word means together and they can approximate and start to explore that rather than me putting an red line through it or saying, no, no, that word is flu, not flow, right? I have them take agency over their own learning, and that's one of the components. People learn better when they take responsibility for their own learning. Another component is demonstration or modeling. People learn better when they have a demonstration or a model, right? So I know, I know, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about his constructs, but they're really, they're incredible because they inform you about how to be strategic. So even if we are using these particular tools, we have a mission about human interaction, just thinking about those natural conditions of learning help you understand how to use them, right? And so that was happening at the same time that I was teaching this. And then the other thing that happened was I was asked to contribute to a personality book. And mm. that book is called uh, Role Play, Personalities Please. in Action, and that's by Julie Kimball. And it's going to be re-released as an e-book this year after, I don't know, 20-some years. I think it was first published in 1996. So we're really excited about that. Right on. And that process really informed me by giving me language, giving me an immersion in the ideas of personality theory. And what I've learned and observed over the last almost 30 years, is that certain personality types uh, tend to move through space, use breath-thought connections, particular kinds of gesture, language connections, in very similar ways. Like you can make an educated guess that that's that personality type Mm. by the tools and the way that they use them to communicate. Mm. So this is a really fascinating addition to this work, right? So you were talking about this woman who was listening to you and you could sense that she was a little upset that there was a little more energy coming at you because you shut down her idea. Mm. Well, that's probably because her personality type was looking for a different response from you. Mm. 
another personality type would never have paid any mind mm -hmm. to you saying, I don't do that. They would have gone, oh, Absolutely. great, let's go on to this thing. But yep. another individual 100%. may have needed some affirmation from you. And even if your language was, I don't do that, you might have turned your line focus into a quarter turn or shifted it away and leaned in and did. said, you know, right? I went, I went straight to my, I was like, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. And I went to go Full to front. the next part of the thing. While she was, was like, uh, uh, that's so, so, so we might think, that. oh, how do I accommodate, how do I make an educated guess about what that learner or person needs to be better understood? It doesn't have to be, how do I make them feel good? It's not, we're not really focusing on that. We're focusing on how to be best understood, which may take into consideration how someone feels about something. Um, recently, I was in an interaction where I'm supporting a person, and it's pretty obvious that they may not have a connection with me. They may not. I mean, we could say they don't particularly like me or whatever. My job in that communication is not to be liked. I, I get my love at home <laughs> in my, you know, handful of very meaningful relationships. My job at that moment is to give them the best set of tools I can to help them be better understood. So this feeling that we may get distracted with that the person doesn't really like me is not part of the goal that I have, the intention that I have for the outcome of this interaction, right? Yeah. So I have to take that into consideration, move my body or my gesture, or think about how I'm phrasing things for that learner and not be distracted with the lack of human connection, right? So that is, we're not always thinking about that. We're, sometimes we're thinking in order to communicate clearly, we must have that human connection, not really. Not always. It's actually it's great you said that because so I help with the social entrepreneurship class at City High, and that's yes. one thing I, I learned is that I the difference between me and some of the other teachers is that the teachers require the students' attention. Well, it's like I'm I have to give my attention to the students who are giving who are giving or give my yeah give my attention to students who are giving me attention. I'm like okay, I'm going to give them the information, but everyone's listening. I, everyone's absorbing the information and what I would do is I'd always consistently sweep the class with my, and I'd eventually reel people in while the teachers are more aggressive with it. Hey, stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, mm, yeah, no, they're, they're, no, they totally get it. They're, they're either listening or not listening, but for the most yes. part, they're listening. Well, and it, this, it brings me back to this. I remember just made me think of this um, experience I had. I was teaching junior high for a while. You know, actors have to have day jobs. <laughs> so uh -huh. I was... Because of my acting ability and that improvisational skill set, yeah. I was always assigned the very difficult classes, like the ones where maybe somebody might throw a desk at you or something. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I was, right. you know, it's okay. Yeah, so I always felt like, okay, you're going into this um, really interesting environment with children who have different ways of learning. You know, and I come from the world of theater where... Actors are pretty dynamic people. <laughs> There's lots of ways to go about things. So that wasn't alarming to me, right? As long as I'm safe, you know, all of that kind of thing. My goal was, oh, these people are here. These young people are here to learn. My goal is to try to keep them in the classroom as long as possible to learn what I'm being asked to teach them, right? I mean, that that's a different kind of goal, you know, not necessarily to make them sit in their chairs or, mm -hmm. You have to have some order, and you have to be able to manage a 55-minute class, right? Mm -hmm. So I used all of the theater games that I would have learned to manage my class. 
So I had one student who was extremely disruptive. Not not because they were bad or anything. They just had so much energy. Mm, yep. They mm -hmm. did not know what to do with it. And <laughs> Such a difference in language. They're not bad. They have a lot of energy. Well, and there's labels, you know, that my ignorance, I didn't know about all of these labels, learning, you know, labels that might be attached to a person. So I'm just trying to solve the problem about how, how do I help them become engaged for however long they can in this 55-minute session, right? So... After about two classrooms, we came together because th they were very disruptive. And you have to manage your classroom. You have to get something done, right? So mm -hmm. I said, look, I'm going to give you five minutes of my class. We have a 55-minute class. You get five minutes. Mm -hmm. They're like, what, what do you mean? I said, well, you have so much energy. So for those five minutes, we are going to stop doing what we're doing. Everyone is going to put down their pencils and paper. I'm going to leave the board and we're going to watch you, give you all our energy, pay attention to you. You can't <laughs> hurt anybody. You can't throw anything. You can't use bad language. Uh, you have these rules, but you can use that time in any way you want when you feel like you can't just sit still anymore and you have to express yourself. And it, it was phenomenal to see this person figure out how to use those five minutes to their advantage, right? Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, they would, they would like come in right away and start using them. And then really after about six weeks, the, the hand would go up and they'd go, Miss, Miss, because um, I, I, I had them call me Miss Kilner. I called them all by their last names, you oh, know, cool. you know, Miss Sanchez or, you know, Mr. Williams or, you know, whatever it was, cool. because we have a relationship that's yeah. a really formal relationship, cool. right? You know, and awesome. we're trying to interact in these ways. I just get this hand up. I, I, I just need two minutes, two minutes. I'd say, okay, good. And we'd stop. They'd break dance or they would sing or sometimes they would just yell because they were so frustrated because of whatever reason. I, I don't know. They just couldn't use bad language or hurt someone, right? And it was really interesting because then we started getting, I just need 15 seconds, 15 seconds. We would stop for 15 seconds and pretty soon. The ability to manage was that responsibility of taking responsibility for the your own management of your energy. That's a Brian Camporn concept. How do I help them do that, right? And what are my expectations? My expectations are that you're going to try your best to learn as much as you can in this 55 minutes. These are your obstacles. How do we deal with them? We're a group together. You're interrupting everybody else's learning. So how can we support? You know, all of those ideas can be borne out in this eight natural conditions of learning. And it helps you think about your communication and the task in the classroom. Yeah. And I was just thinking that about that. Awesome. You know, you're saying, oh, I don't wow. care if they're paying attention. Like, I didn't care either. I mean, I was really cared about, I was caring about something else. Mm, right. That is awesome. So we have about three minutes oh, left. Oh my gosh. Can, okay. we, can we run through the, the, eight, the eight steps really quickly, just what they are? And then well, we're um, at five, right? Last, we got five. So the last did three. Did you get approximation? And then we're going to yes, go. Yes, approximation and then demo or modeling. Uh, yes. And then, and then use that something is actually useful or employable mm -hmm. and the key to that is that you're using those concepts over time so you can see how they all start to intertwine you're approximating but the thing that you're using is demanded over time it's useful it's an actual mm -hmm. useful thing right mm -hmm. um, so the language of that if I say going to store and I go to the store that's an affirmation right mm -hmm. that's a feedback loop so mm -hmm. that's one of them feedback and response but if I say I'm going to the store and every time I say that we get in the car and we go to the post office, we don't have use 
over time that matches the demonstrative expectation. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you can see they start to uh, key in. And then you have that response and feedback loop. And then I think, the, are we on eight? Yes. So the last one is engagement. And that is a, it's an intertwined, it cuts across all of the other seven, and it's, it is the ultimate byproduct of all of that seven. And that is that the learner is engaged. It, it, for me, the interpretation of that is that the learner perceives they're able to do the things that you're teaching them, that you're asking them to do. That there is a shift that they perceive they can read. They perceive they can write. When we perceive, we can speak that language, and it's un subconscious, right? It's yeah, embedded yeah. in that mm -hmm. expectation mm -hmm. or immersion, then we tend to be able to act upon it. We have more capacity to become fluent. So when I'm working with someone in a presentational aspect, we look at all the data points of their human communication that works. So that perception, that engagement of that learner is, oh, I, I actually already do these things. I use this very in-control, deliberate body when I clean my house. Oh, I'll borrow my house cleaning body to do this public speaking piece. I have the exact person just talking about it. The reason they're aware with the daily stuff that they do. Yeah, so that's, oh, that's, those, those, that's how cool. I apply his work. Which so, I, that is awesome. Hold on, one more thing. So sorry, um, on Anchor, you guys aren't going to hear this. But um, so breath, thought, connect. Can you talk about that as well? And that'll be our last thing that we used to wrap up. I definitely yes. So in human interaction, typically when we have something we want to communicate, we have a thought in our head. And when we know it, when we're passionate about it, when it's something that is very available in our thought process, experientially, or an idea, or a philosophy, right? We tend to breathe diaphragmatically, and then we speak. Okay. And you'll see people, when they're thinking about something, or they're unsure, or nervous, you might see shallow breath. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're holding all of this while they think. <laughs> now, these are not necessarily good or bad, but when we want to be strategic, we want deep diaphragmatic breathing connected to the thought we want to communicate because we sense that in human interaction that the person actually is competent or knows what they're talking about that that it's it's a visceral connection to the intellectual delivery through language right so when we think about the breath thought connection we're lifting that idea from theater arts so if i have text that's given to me i have to understand what's under the text the subtext because as we know, what we're always saying isn't always the thing we're saying. <laughs> you know, you come away from conversations, they said this thing, but I know they meant this. Well, uh, how did you know that? You picked up other cues. You picked up something else that would have informed you. So when we take this idea of think, what do I want to communicate? It has to be tied into, you have to know your intention, right? You have to have an understanding of what you're trying to do in this communication. Remember, we're talking about strategic communication, not just an improvisational um, coffee in the morning with your friends, yeah, yeah. but a purposeful communication. You want to make sure that intention is in place. Based on your given circumstances, who's your audience, all of those things. Is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? Are you an expert? Or do you not know anything about my vocabulary? All, all of that given circumstance. I have a thought that's connected to that intention. So I might say, well, I want you to understand something about communication. 